Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey. And I'm Andrew Beam. Uh, we're back uh, with the second installment of our Magnetic Movies series. Uh, Corey, uh, what does it mean again, if you want to just kind of jog everyone's memory, to be a Magnetic Movie Villain? So, a Magnetic Movie Villain is one that really draws you in every single time they're on the screen. The way I like to describe it is they have a sort of car crash-like quality to them, where... <laughs> It is completely awful, but you can't look away. They can do a lot of heinous shit, but I want to keep watching them. I want to, I want to keep, just do your thing, yeah. oddly enough. Yeah. It's fictional, I think. Um, and, you know, last time, the last episode, uh, we did talk about a bunch of excellent villains. You know, a couple of, uh, on both of our lists that did not make the top five, but we want to include them as honorable mentions. Uh, Regina George from Mean Girls, and then Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Uh, John Doe from Seven and Elijah Price from Unbreakable. So, and then we also revealed our top five, our, our fives, our, our two number fives. Mine being Vincent from Collateral. Corey's yours being Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, go back and listen to that conversation. It was a lot of fun. As always, we went a little bit off topic, but that's just kind of gonna happen. Um, but if you want to just pick up with us right here. You know, we'll we'll be able to just kind of go through those. So you know our fives, you know our honorable mentions. Here we're going to talk about our number fours and threes. So, and we're joined once again by our good friend Micah. Micah, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Glad to be back, and glad to not be drinking a beer that's going to burn my throat. <laughs> yeah, that last one. What is it called? Punish. Punishment. It was. A it, pun- was. it was punishment. It really was. was. I didn't know it was called punishment. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't I know either. Like, I just knew it was the imperial bastard, right? Or yeah, it was double like bastard. double bastard yeah. something. Yeah. Well, fuck, man. Yeah, it was just burning all of us. <laughs> Super um, intense. Yeah. But this time around, we are drinking Maud Dube from Single Cut. Mm. They brewed it in a collaboration with KCBC, Kings County Brewers Collective. It's an Imperial Schwartz beer from right here in the Capital Region. Well, Shout out dog. Clifton Park. I'm, yeah. I'm excited. So in terms of the tie-in, which I know like the last one we said bastards, where obviously we're talking about magnetic movie villains, we're talking about villains, a bunch of bastards vain, uh, mainly. <clears throat> but uh, this time around, uh, the connection, it's it's doom metal. It's dark. <laughs> it's got some sinister vibes to it already. I mean, the can art, I don't, you know, look it up yourselves, I guess. Obviously, we yeah. can't physically just shove it in your face right now. Really psychedelic green and kind of bright pink sort of. Uh, Very evil vibes. Kind of got some evil vibes to it. Uh, it reminds some, me of, uh, have you guys ever seen uh, The Legend of Hercules? No. With Kevin Sorbo? Oh, boy. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I might have. Remember that haircut? Yeah, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> no, no. I, I used I, to I, love that in Xena Warrior Princess growing up. So oh, I remember that. Yeah. All right. It was a big Xena Warrior Princess. You well, want to give it a crack it open? Yeah, let's get into it, Ooh, baby. sexy i like that yeah that one's real tasty yeah it's a good ass beer <laughs> all right boys who are we talking about today so today we got our number fours we got our number threes i think we have an overlap here so in total we will be discussing three movies whoa um this is true I'll, I'll start with my number four because i think your number four is my number three whoa Right? I think so. It's yeah. going to get confusing. I'm not good with numbers. It's okay. We're just discussing three movies, basically, is what it comes down to. 
Um, the first one that we're going to discuss is Amy Dunn from Gone Girl. Oh, my God. Played by Rosamund Pike. I see you guys are big David Fincher fans. Huge David Fincher fans. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This wasn't intentional, though, kind of where we've ended up with these yeah, characters. We've, but We've talked about Fight Club. We've talked about uh, Seven. And now we're talking about Gone Girl, which is totally fine. I, I love Gone Girl. Yeah. So first time I saw it, I actually I oddly missed out on this one um, when it first came out. It was, I didn't know it was a Fincher movie, so mm. I wasn't like immediately excited. It didn't about have it. that like immediate Fincher, like I felt like I don't know, Listen, mark if, on it. If anybody else had directed this movie, it would have been a lifetime movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know that's actually a really good point. Yeah. No, and so you know, I, I didn't know much about the book. Um, I didn't realize it was a Fincher movie, otherwise, I would have been there like pretty much opening night, but I just kind of missed it. And then about two, three years later. Um, I finally caught it on demand and it was just incredible. And, you know, since then I must have rewatched it five, six times. And, uh, you know, it's just an incredible movie. Um, I think for me, what's so great about the character and the movie as a whole is you don't actually find out she's the villain until about a third of the way in, you know, you spend the first hour and like, Honestly, by the end of the first hour of the movie, I was absolutely convinced that Ben Affleck's character, Nick Dunn, killed her. I was convinced. I thought it, it had happened. And then you get the big reveal, and there's that incredible monologue, and you know she just gradually starts peeling back the layers of just how evil she really is. And you know she's manipulative. She's extremely intelligent and smart. She's meticulous in the way that she plans. Um, all just outstanding hallmarks of a great and magnetic movie villain to me and thank god it didn't end up on the hallmark channel uh so this is i, I don't know I, I saw it i guess i don't know if it'd be opening night i saw it with my now wife which ooh, good movie to choose uh for date night it wasn't blue valentine <laughs> it, so was it not. wasn't that yeah so we may we may have to do like a top five of all time worst because <laughs> I think Gone Girl might be on there. Marriage Blue Story. Valentine, Marriage Story. Uh, Midsommar has probably got to be oh, on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, that, that's for another time. Yeah, um, I, I wrote this movie off though. Like one, not really uh, realizing as well you? that it was just, you know, because it was Ben Affleck, man. I oh, like had whoa, such, no. I, I know I had such a bias against Ben Affleck. I just thought he was a major. I think he, I don't know if he is still a major douche. I mean, I know I I, I I still have that New York Times article pulled up about him talking about his alcoholism. I, I I'm very curious to read that. For whatever reason, just kind of tossed the movie away because I just I didn't want to give Ben Affleck any fucking credence whatsoever. Fair enough. However, this time around watching it, very glad that it's on your list because it 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 allowed me to watch it with with new eyes and. Really empathy uh, for, I think, Ben Affleck. It's just a human being. Uh, <laughs> ben, are you okay? No, that's, are you that's listening, Ben? Have you seen the, the, the photo of him in the New York Times article? Where Dude, it's just like, I've oh, seen every photo of Ben so Affleck. I'm worried about it. Moving on. I, I, ben Affleck, man. I, I, that guy gets too much shit. I, th- I think he's a great actor. Way too much. I think that he doesn't take roles that are like really out of his wheelhouse. I think that he, he, I haven't seen him do anything that is truly like 
challenging. Challenging. Like not like Matt Damon. Matt Damon has really pushed himself as an That's actor. That's the thing is they're so they're so inextricably linked because of Goodwill right. Hunting that now, you know, you can't help but kind of compare their careers. And right. Matt Damon has taken a lot of chances and really done some really interesting things whereas right. ben affleck has always been kind of in the same right zone. i haven't seen him do anything that is like extraordinary roles or i mean the thing is can ben affleck act yes yeah, absolutely. yeah. It, can he play characters i'm not sure yet yeah mm. i'm not sure That's yet. he can play big boat like you mean he, like batman I think he was a great Batman. Yeah, I think that I think I, he could. Call, I think he could pull off the the really the movie tortured was the problem. It wasn't Ben Affleck. Right, right, right. I I disagree. Oh. I disagree. I I I don't think it's a great movie, but I think the director's cut of Batman vs Superman is awesome. Okay. Um, I also think you know in the Matt Damon Ben Affleck debate, like I mean they're not Mark Wahlberg. Right. So like, Matt, I, I hate Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> no, in that in that debate between the two of them, you also have to think about Ben Affleck's directorial work. Like, yeah, he's three for three in terms of Argo, in terms of The Town, which is my Argo was a dope movie. I love. I like that movie a lot, and I really like Gone Baby Gone. Huge I don't fan. like any of those movies. I think Ben Affleck is a bad director. Oh Ooh. man, hot take. I don't think he's a. I, I think don't he's have a great like actor. I don't think I think he's a great actor, but man, I can always. I, the thing is that any Ben Affleck movie, I always say like, if I could like, <laughs> Ben, Ben, listen, let me direct your movies because <laughs> we won't just be nominated for an Oscar. We'll win them. We'll win them. Okay, I know Arco probably won. Right, Argo, Argo won. won. Yeah, yeah it did. I don't think he but, won Best Director, but it did win Best Picture. Yeah, that makes sense. But the, the town was. I you made me rewatch that after like fucking. It felt like that's that's one of my girlfriend's favorite my movies head. too. I love the fucking it's a good movie. I don't much. like it, and she's like, "What?" So back to Gone Girl. <laughs> Gone Girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so we'll start in, and I'll do. Uh, I'll I'll do my nominations for most magnetic scene. Um, do you tell and right. i have three again chronological order interestingly the first most magnetic scene doesn't come until an hour into the movie because the whole first half you spend thinking that she's this great great person um and that she has been murdered by her awful husband mm. so the first one that i have to do is the reveal where she's driving and she uh delivers this huge monologue that is incredible and it's all in voiceover while she's driving and it's kind of revealing what she did and the line reading and this monologue it's so well written and so well delivered and you know it starts with the i'm so much happier now that i'm dead and that line is so good it's so and good. it's just and delivered like so like bubbly just like yeah. oh hey you know. i'm so much happier now that i'm dead you know there's two parts of this monologue that i have to read because i think they're so good i think the first part really establishes what what her point is. And I think she has one when we get to that question. I, I will say that up front. Nick Dunn took my pride and my dignity and my hope and my money. He took and took from me until I no longer existed. That's murder. Let the punishment fit the crime. That was powerful. I didn't Thanks, feel man. it. Thanks, man. I, 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 I didn't feel it. Fuck I off. I felt that right. one. It was a lot. <laughs> I, I think we need to know. No, but I think, I think that establishes like – what her point is and i think she does a good job of doing it and i think it establishes kind of right off the bat that you know she was someone who's looking to kind of take her life back she now, now did she go about it in the right way no that's why she's on this villains list but well 
She took her life back. I argue that she's not a villain. Okay. I I argue that the circumstances of her life are the villain here, right? Let's, let's think about this. Let's think about this movie as a whole, right? It starts off with Nick Dunn, right? And his, his monologue and about spooling his, his wife's brains out, right? That first half of that movie is in his POV. So we're getting his side of the story of right. what he thinks is done. So that's why we get the really romantic shots of him cheating on his wife. <laughs> Listen, in Wedding Singer, like we hate the the fiance because he's cheating on her. That, he's the right. villain of the movie because of that, right? So I argue that Nick Dunn is the villain of this of this of this movie. You think about it exactly with that. It, this is why I'm thinking about it, is that quote you said. He literally took everything from her and cheated on her, and like with a younger woman, and like yeah, it makes like she the way she went about it. Yeah, okay. And is she is she a villain? She's a villain and a psychopath, but she has a point. Right. Okay. If this was the TV show Vikings, we'd be praising her. I'm just saying. <laughs> but this isn't fucking right. the Middle Ages. It's all about perspective, man. <laughs> so the second part that I want to read from the monologue is the other part that reveals about her is how smart and funny she is. Yeah. And, you know, it's the part where she goes, when I met Nick Dunn, I knew he wanted a cool girl. And for him, I'll admit, I was willing to try. I wax-stripped my pussy raw. I drank canned beer watching Adam Sandler movies. I ate cold pizza and remained a size two. I blew him. Semi-regularly. I lived in the moment. I was fucking game. I can't say I didn't enjoy some of it. But Nick got lazy. He came, became someone I did not agree to marry. He actually expected me to love him unconditionally. And he dragged me penniless to the navel of this great country and found himself a newer, younger, bouncier, cool girl. You think I'd let him destroy me and end up happier than ever? No fucking way. He doesn't get to win. You see? This is a hero. <laughs> this is this is a hero story. This is a hero's journey. Like if this was a quit this if Quentin Tarantino had directed this, it would have been Kill Bill. Okay? Hi. <laughs> See, here's my problem, is that, like, she's just as delusional, like, she is. Dude, she she did everything right. Yeah, I get it. She's, she's playing it for him, but. And, like, how much, like, but how much is this is true? Like, how much of her money did he take? Or was that just all part of the setup to make it, to, to make it easier to frame I him? don't have the numbers, but. But that's what I'm trying to, <laughs> that's what I'm I trying to, to talk to Amy Dunn's accountant. I need to, <laughs> I need to speak with her accountant first before I can comment on her. On her tax returns, but but like I don't like. Listen, did he like become like probably what she didn't marry? What a piece of shit? And did he cheat on her? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Those are all terrible things, and you're an asshole for it. I don't think anyone's arguing against that. We don't even know if he was actually abusive or not. We don't know. Well, no, I think she made that part up. It's I think we don't know though. We don't know for sure. But I we think know we, because the first half of the because movie, she wrote that shit after. I understand, but the first half of that movie is from his perspective, and then the second is all from her perspective. So you don't know the right. actual like objective truth, which is a great thing right. about it. The only things that you know happen are the things that are happening actually in the film with the people, right? Nothing that nothing that's said about what happened right. can be believed, which is why the end of the movie is so powerful because it's both of them coming together, right? Like that last moment, but it, it's not them necessarily coming together and well i'll get to the, that. the perspective they're not right. teammates you, really. you know both of their perspectives <laughs> and you're like i mean listen man you don't start the movie off with saying something like i want to beat my wife's skull in and spool and if you haven't thought about it before you don't 
I mean, well, no, maybe. He, he followed well, it up because he just wanted to see what thoughts were inside. Wanna, what's, what are the thoughts? <laughs> My second scene that I'd like to nominate after the monologue is the Desi murder. Um, God. This, this scene and... Oh, it's just so incredible. You know, I think it. she is so exacting in the way that she goes through it. And I think that in that way, Fincher is the perfect director because he's so exacting and he's so meticulous in the way he looks at these things. And it perfectly kind of captures the whole setup and the plan. So it's nine steps as far as I've kind of written it out. Step one. She, Ladies, listen up. She untucks the shirt and she bites the lip so that when he's walking out on the camera it looks like he just had some sexy time because he's like going like this with his lip. That isn't exactly consensual. And he is like tucking it in and he's like, okay, it looks like he just had sex. Then step two, she ties the strip around her legs so that she can get the ligature marks. Um, She does the wine for the appearance of blood. And then she crawls to the camera and starts screaming, apparently covered in blood, so that when people check the security tapes, They'll see that and they'll see kind of, okay, that's what happened. This is the this is the morning. Then she spends the whole day while she's at work. She's doing the ligature marks on her wrist as well. She's got to have those. Yeah, she's in the bathroom and then she does the wine bottle, which, holy shit, with the wine bottle. Yeah. And she has to have it look like she was, you know, forcibly yeah. raped. Then they go into the bedroom and... Um, she starts the seduction. She brings him in. They're laying there. They're having sex. She reaches for the box cutter behind her, and then she waits for him to come because she needs the semen. She needs the evidence to prove it. A couple of times where she's needed it. She slits okay. the throat, and just, holy fuck, he's just bleeding out all on her. And like that scene was one of the scenes where, when I watched it, just after that, I was left absolutely speechless and just mouth open just like what the fuck just happened? <laughs> holy shit the whole scene is very unnerving very unnerving and the, 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 the look on her face when she's just laying there right before she does it is some of the most evil looking shit i've ever seen and like rosamund pike just plays it perfectly it's it's incredible a couple other things that i wanted to point out about that scene the score mm. in it that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross do the way it just builds as like the, the plan is unfolding and you're kind of learning about what's going to happen. Like so tension building and yeah, I agree. Uh, the filmmaking in that movie is just incredible. Yeah. And I, I was reading, Fincher is just incredible. I was reading, there's two things that I was reading that I found really interesting when I did was, you know, Fincher is famous for having his actors have to do like, 10 12 15 takes like up to 90 yeah how do you do 15 takes of that fucking scene like that has to be so taxing on the actors and like he really likes to strip people away of their ego i guess right and i mean whatever it is i can i, only, I don't do that i can I, only as a director imagine. i don't i like anything more than three takes i feel like i'm not i don't know what i'm doing and i'm like i just like to i like to move fast um, One take, Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> Done before lunch. Yeah. So there's that. And then the other thing that I read, and this was like an interesting thing. I think they're all assholes in that movie, man. <laughs> I think everybody in that movie is an asshole. And so the other thing is the cinematographer was talking about this and how it shows just how knowledgeable Amy Dunn was about like this stuff. Like 
when she slit the throat, she also, she needed the semen, yes, but she also needed his blood to be pumping super fast because when she slit the throat, then he would bleed out faster. It would, it would be over really quickly instead of having to bleed out slowly. So she got the, she got the heart pumping with that and it serves like multiple purposes. Everything is women so, are better at committing crimes than we will. Ever everything do. is so, and she got away with it too. And that's the difference between male serial killers and female serial killers, right? And then <laughs> they just they 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 accomplish their goal. Listen, yeah, yeah. So she's she's outstanding. That scene is incredible. And then the last one that I want to nominate. Do you feel like he was done in? Who? Because her name her name's oh, yeah. my bad. You're welcome. <laughs> no, You're welcome for that. That was one. a good one. Sorry, I missed it. Okay. That's my bad. Um, the last one that I wanted to nominate is pretty much the entire epilogue um, when she returns to Nick until the end of the movie. Um, yeah. And to me, that's the one. I mean, obviously, the other scene is where she's actually violent and it shows that she can be kind of murderous. But that last scene shows how manipulative and exacting she is, the way that she traps him in this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And he wants to get out like he, he needs to get out. But she keeps him in because he, she knows that he wants a kid. So she goes and gets the sperm from the thing that they were saving. And she impregnates him, herself without his actual consent. And then now he's kind of trapped in this marriage because of the kid. Wait. Okay. But it could just not be his baby either. Well, that's also true. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it could not be. But... The way that she traps him, because like one of the things that was an actual problem for them early on was like Nick wanted kids and she no, didn't. That's his own. That's his own problem. Well, she yeah, but, but she just, uses that against him by she. Okay, she need she now needs to cover her tracks. She needs to be back. She needs to live this life that she's now returned to. And so, how does she get Nick done to li- live it with him? She right. Gets a kid and she does it. And Listen, it just sounds like this guy just wanted to impose his will on this woman's body, and and got what he deserved. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, this is a tough movie for me because I I get it. I get it on all parts. Like, do I have murderous thoughts? No, but do I get her? Yeah. No, for sure. And that's why yeah, in the her end, thoughts kind of turned into action. What? Her thoughts kind of turned into action. Yeah, fair enough. I I never. I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing. That's, that's why at the end of the day, she is on this list as a villain. But you have to admit, she had a point. I would say the whole cast of Gone Girl is a villain, <laughs> except for Nick Dunn's sister. Oh, fair. Margot's great. Yeah, Love yeah. Carrie Coon. Carrie Coon. Like, she also had it right, man. Like, Amy was a crazy person. Like, the, and she crazy didn't like her. is a very subjective word, as this movie proves. Oh, I'm sorry. You thought that everything she did was the mark of a sane person? Are any of us sane? Fair enough. I mean, Fincher says that we're all perverts. That's why we all like his, his movies. Yeah. No, oh, interesting enough. See, I don't know. She has a point to prove, but I feel like it's horrifically obscured by the actions. So what's the most magnetic scene for you, then? I have to go with the Desi murder. Mm. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. I For me, it's the scene where like they're first falling in love in the library, and he does the, for the lip thing for the first time, and just seeing her like look at him... That moment, I was like, "Wow, this this actress just like wrote like incredible." I I, I kind of feel like my two scenes at least were the hospital scene where she just completely plays her character so well, covered in blood, sitting in the sitting in the gown and sitting in the in, in the wheelchair, so and just delivering just like 
these made up like just completely fabricating all of this all the story and just like and you know and have like Nick scared like hey just sitting there in the you're background doing waiting, fine, honey. You're doing great. <laughs> it's a really it's a really great scene too because it's this meta commentary on the yeah. the kind of danger in believing survivors. It's the danger of narratives, right? And, I, I wouldn't say right. it's believing survivors. Or, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But believing that, and like the only one Phrasing. who's willing to call it into question is the local detective, who's right. the only woman in the room. All the other yeah. male FBI agents, they don't want to question it, and right. they they shut down the woman who's trying to ask the question, which is like, kind of the opposite of the real world, isn't yeah. it? Like no, and that's why I think it's like, this interesting. Yeah. That's why I think it's this interesting commentary and very deliberate the way that they did it. Yeah. That's like, you know, maybe we need to ask some questions of Amy Dunn yeah, right man. here. Like, so I, that's a great scene. I agree. <laughs> the other scene is the montage of her setting up Nick when they're when she's just going step by step of what she does. Right. Mainly just because like one, you're just like, holy fuck, you thought of everything. Like you, you this that's, is this is real she's smart, a writer, right? She's a yeah, writer, yeah, yeah, and 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 just like watching her and then also showing her. She's gonna write a great it. novel in the future. <laughs> she write what? She writes kids books. <laughs> like fucking. Well, she's gonna write a like young novel. adult. Yeah, right. I like that. We got a bunch of different magnetic scenes that we have not agreed on, but that's fine. That's that's what we do here. Um, favorite quotes. Uh, it's the whole monologue. Um, the that monologue is so incredible. long. I'm looking at it right now. It's so long, so funny. My favorite line in the whole thing is, "I blew him semi regularly." Yeah, I think that's so funny and. So I don't have any random thoughts or observations, but I do have some lingering questions. Three of them. Isn't First that, one. Isn't that whole movie a lingering question? Pretty much. But there's three that I have that like really came up and were really bugging me. The first one is there's a scene where she gets the money stolen, right? And she is – Shout out to Lola Kirk. She's amazing. Yeah. What I'm curious about is how does this movie go if she doesn't get the money stolen? How does this movie go? Nick Dunn goes to jail. Yeah. All right. Does she still see the interview? Because the interview is where it turns for her. I don't think she sees the interview unless the money got stolen. Mm. Second question, and this kind of leads into that, is what's that kid like? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, for starters, he looks a lot like Neil Patrick Harris. I think this is... I think this is <laughs> You're convinced it's not Nick's kid? <laughs> I think they're going to be a serial killer. I think. I think there's a lot of potential <laughs> for being a controlling psychopath. Have you guys seen the trailer for the new show Prodigal Son? No. I feel like that's the kid. <laughs> and now I'm going to have to check it out. Why is everyone watching that same HLN, like Nancy Grace style news station? Like why everyone? It is on ev- literally every single TV station. Is it just like an OJ thing? Is um, that the reality of the situation? What do you Isn't mean? that the world we live in? Yeah, that's, that's I don't think we're all watching the same damn television station. I mean, my parents watch that all like that style of stuff all the time. Yeah, well, sure, but like Constant I don't know, Bravo Channel. It's, you know, at least either be CNN or MSNBC it, or Fox News. Not always like everyone's know, on HLN. It's Boomer Bait. <sighs> all right. Yeah, I just it was a question. All right, so last question, and I know my answer. Beam, I think I know your answer, Mike. I have no idea what your answer is. Yeah, I kind of want to start with Mike on this. Could our significant others? whatever status they may be. We have a wife, we have a fiance, we have a girlfriend in the room. Could they Amy Dunn us? I think any person, I think, hmm. We had one friend who said his, his wife is way too nice and she would never do and it. I absolutely well, I think agree. that she's absolutely, I think then she's absolutely the person that would do it. 
No, she doesn't have it in her. <laughs> I, I think I know. What, what, I have Victoria, a hard time. I have a hard she? time already, like differentiating between her hostile voice and her normal speaking voice. So, oh yeah, you're about um, to get Congo. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I think that if I did Victoria the way that Nick Dunn did Amy, I think she would gone girl. I think she would get away with it too. Yeah, I think she could. She's smart. With Sarah, Oof. Sarah gave you a response. So yeah, Sarah told me. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I quote, <laughs> "Yeah, I like I, I posed this. I don't even know if I posed it to her, um, but she certainly gave me an answer." Um, Here we go. Just for some context, the band Every Time I Die, one of my favorite bands. Right, the lead singer's name is Keith Buckley. I just said so. I basically it was in a text thread. I said to her, "Please don't ever gone girl me." And she said, "I would never. I love you so so much too." And then I said, "Even under the circumstances from the movie." This is where things change. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying. The circumstances of the movies change everything. Hold on. But I wouldn't frame you for murder. No. I would divorce you and take all your money and move on to find a very famous new husband so you have to see us happy in the magazines when you're a price chopper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And then goes, and it would be someone you love. Like Keith Buckley's wife tragically died years early, so I marry him, and you can't even stomach listening to every time I die. <laughs> no, and that's why Sarah is, is not saying. a villain, and Amy Dunn is. No, but that's the, this is the thing that <laughs> dear God, this is the this is the thing. They're all smart enough to think of that kind of response. Quick, just like that. I think, I think every girl you're dating has has that backup plan, like on how to completely crush you. Yeah, no, she she figured a way. Yeah. Like I like it hasn't even happened. That was a completely hypothetical it. circumstance, I and I feel I felt her coming, just like damn, <laughs> like you better not, you better not Nick Dunner in any way. I certainly can't. because <laughs> no. I feel like the, I feel, the thing is the confidence of which she typed that out. I think well, she'd get it done. Right? Exactly. Yeah. No, it would happen. Yeah, but also. How about you? Uh, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Please. I, yeah. This. This is funny. <laughs> it's terrifying. So Bethany absolutely would one hundred percent. And the the moment it was revealed to me was we were just driving through a parking lot at like five miles an hour, and I was I made some little quip like just a joke, and her immediate response was to unbuckle my seatbelt and slam on the brakes. <laughs> And the fact that that was her response, like, to just a joke. And then she just looked at me. She's like, next time it's on the fucking highway. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and obviously she was kidding, but she wasn't. Like, was she? <laughs> I don't know if she was. Are you dude. okay? Yeah. Oh, I, I love her with more than anything. And I would never, ever do the Nick Dunn thing. But I know for a fact she would Amy Dunn the shit. That's with an imaginary saying, knife to your man, balls if, right if, now is what that is. If you Nick Dunn any woman, you deserve it. All right. Frame so, for murder. All right. Let's go. And Beam, we are doing your number four, my number three, I believe. Whoa. Yeah. All right. That we are. What are we doing? Talk. Look, introduce us. Anton Shiger from No Country for Old Men. Shiger. That scared me. Um, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm a little, I'm a little tense after our conversation. <laughs> and reading out loud. I read it, like reading Sarah's text was one thing. <laughs> reading it out loud. So Anton Shiger. Is he is he a hitman too or like that's an A list right there that's an A lister 
Yeah. A-lister. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't know if we'd call him a straight up hitman. I mean, he does. I couldn't tell exactly what his. For the cartel. Right. No, no, no. He he is the cartel's hitman for sure. Or like gun for hire. It almost seems like he controls everyone. That's cartel's hitman. Okay. Yeah. He is for sure the guy they send in to get things done. And he is he is A list as fuck. That is not Vincent. That is <laughs> no. that is an A list. He seems to have thought about it all, down to the weapon he uses. Yeah. Uh what is it? A cattle Yeah. Well there's the cattle prod and, and then, then there's, there's the silent shotgun. The silent shotgun. Alright, so two thousand seven? Two thousand seven in the theaters, huge time. Two thousand seven was an outstanding year for movies. Yeah. Like you had There Will Be Blood. You had No Country for Old Men. There was a bunch of hype around it. I went and saw it. It was incredible. And like so much not what you're expecting the first time because the quiet ending, you feel you feel a little let down by the fact. And this is obviously intentional and what makes the movie so brilliant. But the first time I was let down that you don't get the Shiger Llewellyn Moss showdown. You don't get that. They don't give that to you. And then the life last, ain't perfect, baby. Right. And yeah. the last 20 minutes are then just Ed Tom Bell quietly kind of reflecting on life, his place in it. You got the dream, and then it just cuts to black, and you're like... Which I never fully understood that last scene. The oh, point. It's the whole point of the movie, dude. You're not supposed to understand it. It's no country for old men, you boomer. Yeah. I feel attacked. <laughs> well, then don't be such a dummy. So... um. I mean, it was it, it's a huge movie for the Coen brothers yeah. because it's the only Coen brothers movie to get Best Picture. Yeah. Um, it you also, want to know a fun Coen brothers story about that? Absolutely. They walked off a set thinking that nobody would watch this piece of shit movie. For No Country for Old yeah. Men? Wow. Yeah. They were wrong. They were wrong. They they were wrong. wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. And no, I mean, what makes this movie also so great is not only that, like, it gets better with every rewatch. Because I agree. Then, it's, one of my, it's one of my favorite movies. I, rewatching it, like, even for this, too, like, that made me have a... I mean, all of these. That's Doing this exercise in general made me have a much more fuller appreciation for these movies because you're... Now I'm just, like, literally, like, dissecting it. And I'm, I'm focusing on one character. And this character in particular is just... Um, he says a lot without saying anything really at all. Yeah, not not many and lines. Movie. Like yeah. the whole movie, he doesn't have much, but like everything, and it's the way it's shot, it's the way it's written. Like everything yeah. is so perfect and so well acted. Javier Bardem is incredible as Anton Chigurh, but it kind of feels like the Terminator in a way. A little bit. He's like a Just real not life a machine, Terminator, right. not not a robot. Yeah, but he is machine like you're right and that's what's interesting about him is he's so professional and so exacting that like everything is kind of robotic in the way he goes about it but that's what yeah. draws you in is like how good he is yeah at what he does i mean, I, I always think about that hotel scene where the lock hits him in the chest oh my god and, yeah like the build-up all to that moment where like the, like, with the, the footsteps, with the footsteps in, the in the door like, yeah you want to do our most magnetic scenes? I do think we, we should. Do we get six because it's both of our movies? Oh. I, have, I don't think we should do six. I cheated and have four, but you know, one of them I can All right. Well, out. one of them's probably going to be overlap with mine. So go ahead. What, what do you got? What's the first one? Uh, the gas station scene. Yeah. Gas, gas station, station scene. scene is so good. Got to be on there. Uh, the, the, he just immediately strikes fear into that man where he tries to close down his store at sundown. What time do you close? That's not a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And like. It's clearly light out. 
Like, it's clearly this man just shit his pants and needs to close down his store to get Anton Chigar out as quickly as possible. No, and what's really cool about it is that up to that point, you don't know anything about his character, really. All you've seen is that he's murdered two people already. He's strangled out a cop and killed a guy with a cattle prod to get his car. And you're just like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? And, you know, it's such an incredible scene in the way that it just ratchets up the tension so quickly. He um he dissects that man really well too like the whole like you married into this like he right yeah I almost feel like yeah like part of him like wants to kill him for the nuisance factor alone but also he kind of is like get your shit together man you're like, pathetic yeah no, and he makes fun of me he does the didn't mean nothing and he he's he's making fun of him and he he kind of has a little little Hannibal Lecter yeah thing where he 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 dissects and starts going at what, what yeah would make he's this a, guy uncomfortable exactly he he found he got to the core of that man real fast yeah then you also get introduced to this whole idea of the coin toss in this scene mm-hmm. and which doesn't come up as much as I would like no I mean I well that's the thing he it's is, so memorable though that you think it comes up more than it does and then you rewatch the movie out. and yeah. it's just like oh he, he, that that coin toss is just is is the film it's like anything can happen. Yeah, and that was the big thing is it introduces the way he feels about himself and his mm-hmm. view of right. how he kind of sees himself as an agent of fate. You know, if you yeah. if you were brought here with the coin and me, then you deserve to be here in some way. And whether or not I know that, that doesn't matter. You have to face the coin and me. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's a really odd code and you're just like what is going on it's it's very entrancing like yeah it's it's incredible i love i love that whole i agree so give me one of yours then all right so the the other one that i wanted to nominate is the chase scene um and you know like i i'll let i'll let you talk about it more but i think that the way that they set up the scene and the way that they build the tension. Oh, that literally you took get, me a second to get to yeah. where we were with this chase scene. So, so the chase ahead. scene is where it's at the hotel it's where he Llewellyn, yeah. with yeah. Llewellyn. And the way that he built the, the way that the Coen brothers build the tension, the way that Shiger's character kind of builds the tension. It's so exacting and awesome. And not, well, I'll let you kind of talk about it. It's just the only reason that scene works is because of Anton Shiger. Like We know what's coming. We know what he can do, and we know what the lock means, like the lock bouncing out of the sound. We know everything. The sound of the oxygen tank, and it like pressurizes, mm-hmm. and you hear that, and it becomes like this death knell throughout the movie. You've like, never oh, been so afraid time. of that noise. Right. You know what's coming, and that's why like they could have cut to anything. They could have cut to his toes, and you would still feel the tension. It's it's a really great action sequence, which mm-hmm. is not usually what you think about with the Coen brothers, and it's not what you would think about in this movie, but mm. it really is a great action sequence. And one of the things that I love, they can definitely film shootouts really well. Yeah. Like I think a true grit sometimes and like, yeah, you know, even Fargo. Um, and then, I mean, all their movies have a, like their violence and there is in their movies. Right. And it, it, it's always like a little moment. It's not yeah. a violent movie, but there's right. these moments where it explodes and the right. tension that's been building. Kind I, th- of- I think what I like about those movies is that the violence actually feels like violence. It's not like, look how cool this is. It's like, it's oh, not a crazy shit. action scene right. with it's all like, the, oh, yeah, shit, like- this is, this is violence and I don't want to be a part of this. Right. It's it's very real the way that right. they do it. It's not, it doesn't feel like an action set piece. It yeah. feels like it feels natural within the story yeah. and what they're doing. And I think my favorite part about this action sequence is the fact that 
Llewellyn and Anton still don't come face to face and he never even sees him the way it's filmed and the way it's shot. It's he's always obscured either in the dark by a shadow through the messed up windshield. He's a monster. It's a monster movie at that point. Exactly. It's kind of like the boogeyman chasing you just like this blurry vision. Um, And I think that's, it's really outstanding the way that they shoot it. It's, it's a really great, great scene that, that chasing. Amy, you got another one? One, I don't know why I really like this one because it's it again. We talked about how he's able to say so much without really saying much at all. The scene where he's just sitting in the Wellens trailer <laughs> and drinks the milk and drinks the milk. Can we talk Do- about that lady though? We can't give out no information. <laughs> Can we talk about her? For a yeah, absolutely. I what do you want to talk about? Because like again, wow, you know what she, she's capable of, and she is not budging. She's he, she did not poking the I bear. want to know what happened to that woman in her life to not even be afraid of this guy. I just don't think she understood, I guess. I, I have no you think idea. think she was just so dumb that she did not know death staring her in the face? Yes. Or was she just like, I've dealt with worse? I think she was just so, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I think it was a lot of that. <laughs> Real badass. no information. I like that scene. The other scene, I just, it just, I don't know. It's, it's super haunting. He's sitting in the man's fucking trailer. So the other scene that's like that that I want to nominate is the pharmacy scene. In mm. the, oh, I, I, that's on there for me too. Yeah, so because like, he's just walking in with the car blowing up behind him, right? And it's everything about that the way it's like the step by step process again, yeah. where he yeah. does the cotton swab, he lights the car on fire, it blows up, he goes in. Takes the thing, grabs what he needs, and you know the whole scene. Like you said, he doesn't say anything, and yeah. then he goes back to the hotel, and it shows each meticulous step of about how he is fixing himself and getting yeah. the blood out. And it's a great Coen Brothers scene, but it's a great Chigurh scene because you see how good he is. He's just he's so present Agreed. with all the yeah. things that he needs to do to get the thing done. That, that's why I always feel like he's an A list assassin. Yeah. Like, Vincent wouldn't have been able to do that. No. Too much in his own head. Too much. Too yeah. much. Too into himself. Um, That's why he's in the B-list, baby. You got... <laughs> Anton Chigurh would have been in Smoking Aces if he could have. <laughs> yeah, he would have killed everyone somehow. <laughs> uh, I would say then the other one is the conversation with Car- Carson Wells. Conversation with Carson Wells is really fucking This good. passage here... And you know what's going to happen now. You should admit your situation. There'd be more dignity in it. You go to hell. And then Anton, all right, let me ask you something. If the rule you followed brought you to this, of what What use use was that rule? Do you have any idea how crazy you are? You mean the nature of this conversation? I mean the nature of you. Which, by the way, I don't think that scene works as well if it wasn't Woody Harrelson. Yeah, I agree. That man is fucking phenomenal. You have to cast these things right. Because, again, like it's with Vincent, right? Like Always comes back to Tom Cruise, by the way. Um, (laughs) Always comes back to Tom Cruise. Like, that's the thing is like that. That role would never have worked if it wasn't him. Yeah, and it's such a tense scene. And then the phone ringing just cuts the tension. And you think, you think for a second, okay, maybe he's not. And then he just shoots Carson. Right. There's always that will they won't. Like, yeah. It's almost like a rom com. Like, will they want that? Yeah. And then he shoots Carson. He picks up the phone. He's just like, you need to come see me. Mm hmm. And it's that's terrible. And that's the first time that they actually they don't come face to face because they never do in the movie, but they just, talk. This movie's just commentary on capitalism, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got some quotes that you like, man? 
Well, one more scene. I have to talk about it. It's Was. when Anton visits Carla Jean at the end. Oh, yeah. And <sighs> yeah. it's the only time where he kind of seems a little shook because Carla Jean's refusal to take part in the coin toss. Like. He didn't expect that. Yeah, he didn't. Expect he wasn't. That. He wasn't planning for that. Do you think he went through with it? Oh, absolutely. He, you he know checked the he bottom did. of his shoes. He shoe. checks the bottom of his shoes when he comes out on the porch. And he leans against it and he checks the bottom of his shoes. So you know that he did it because of the callback to the earlier scenes. It's great. Darn. Um, but it's it's a really I mean, I always amazing... I know that he did it, but I wish somehow. I know. He didn't. You wish he didn't. Um You're almost rooting for him not to be the bad guy in that moment. A little bit, but he has to because he's a professional. And he promised Llewellyn that he would. He said you can't you can't save yourself. I won't pretend that you can. But if you get out now, if you bring the money to me, you can save Carla Jean. And he didn't. So he's got a. He gives her the coin toss. That's the best that he can give her. And he says that to her. It's amazing. Mm, yeah. And then you get the fucking the car crash and the two little kids. And look at that fucking bone. Dude. All right. So I'm going to go on to one of my favorite quotes from it, right. which is from that scene. Mister, you got a bone sticking out of him. Let me just sit here a minute. <laughs> That's your fucking request. Look at that fucking bone. <laughs> like, dude, uh, I just love that his response is just let me sit here with this for a minute. Like, can I just I'm trying to figure out my situation. You talking is not helping. <laughs> I like uh from the coin from the coin toss scene, the original gas station, the gas station scene, scene. He goes, anywhere, not in your pocket. Yeah, don't don't put it in your mixed pocket. in with all the others and becomes just a coin, which it is. I really like that line. It's like he's like this weird philosopher. Yeah, and then that that whole scene with with Carla Jean, call it. The coin don't have no say. It's just you. Why well, got here the same way the coin did? Yeah, and that's that. It's that that agent of fate thing that yeah. like it's so good. And you know, interestingly, with this movie, I don't have that many quotes from Shiger because he doesn't talk he doesn't all talk that much. much. But you get these great quotes about him and. Oh, the one, the one from Carson? You get a couple, and yeah. one's from Ed Tom Bell, where yeah. he just goes, yeah, got some hard bark on him. And that's, like, pretty pretty apt description. Wow, I want to kind of, I want to use that to describe people. And then Carson <laughs> Wells goes, how, just how dangerous is this, man? Compared to what? The bubonic plague? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Carson Wells says that, and then there's another one where he's like, what is this guy supposed to be, the ultimate badass? And Llewellyn says that to Carson, he's like, um, I don't know if I put it like that. I guess I'd say he doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> so basically, your favorite quotes are from Woody Harrelson. From Woody because Harrelson Woody Harrelson is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, great, great stuff. Um, so random thoughts and observations. Um, I know what is it? So it's the it's the cattle prod. Yeah, and it's the what was it again? The it's like a silenced shotgun. I just love that he's got two versions of the same thing. It feels like in a way. The cattle prod's very different from the silent. Oh, is shotgun. it? I thought I almost thought it was like the same. No, so the cattle prod he describes it. it the, one the of the cops maybe. does. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying it more has the same the look. Pressurized pipe kind of looks like the like the right. The, the, I, I get what you're saying. They just look very similar to each other. Yeah, I just yeah. like that he's very much yeah. The sound of it is scary. Right, so the, the sound shotgun. of it is so good. And yeah. um, yeah, but the cattle prod it just sends like a little thing out into the guy's brain. And then pops back in. It's air. It's not. It's an air. Yeah. It's a pressurized like air thing that goes yeah. in and out. Um. Yeah. I don't. I have no nitpicks with this movie. I think it's perfect. I want to know how and why he originally got arrested. 
I do want to know that. That's I a just good like question. why does he oh. all Anton Chigurh right in the Stolen beginning car wasn't it? No, when you open the movie, he's already in custody, and then he chokes out the cop why? with the with the. Why are we at this moment? He's in cuffs, and he right, but he it, strangles the cop. What it has to be, it has to be something to do with that that deal gone wrong. Sir, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, know that how for certain. Yeah, I, I don't know how he got caught. To be fair, it could just be racism. I don't know. <laughs> Like, it is it is yeah, West Texas, I, and yeah. he is Mexican. I also want to know, like, where did he get the idea for the cattle prod? Like, where, like, what turned him on to that? No, that's what I'm curious about. I mean, maybe no leftover. Like, maybe, maybe he was like, maybe he's a cow farmer in his childhood, and he was like, "This would be great." You know what I could use this for? Murdering people. <laughs> so my one lingering question that I have, and I, I, I really want to know because again. And I, as I'm saying this more and more, and what you said, I'm realizing Carson Wells really it probably is my favorite part of this movie. But <laughs> <laughs> my favorite, uh, what I want to know is what's the story with him and Carson? Because Carson, they know each other, yeah, they know yeah, each other very but, well. Uh, like how? What's the background? Right. Like I, Carson is the only one who knows anything about him, and it's really interesting. And like that dynamic, the I way think, that, yeah, that that thing, what you're describing right now, is probably one of my favorite things about the movie is that. The, the, they do such a great job of implying a history and yeah the the movie feels like you've been wa- like it feels like you know everybody you know that there's something you know the bigger. character as well too yeah yeah there's a big there's something bigger about this movie you know everyone in that movie like you know them well you know the history you know i don't know that movie that is it's about as close as perfect as you can get. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and you know that that's what I'm left with is like how do, how is Carson the only one who really knows this guy? Like yeah. what what happened? I want to see that movie, that prequel, the I Carson. Don't. And, I would read it though. <laughs> I read the. True. Yeah, yeah. I don't True. want to see the movie. I'll read it. Um, last one. Does he have a point? I don't think so. No, I don't know what. Definitely not. Be if he had no. it. No, definitely no. not. No. He's a murdering machine. All right, like- so that's my number four. Your number four. My my number four is your number three. Sorry, yes, that's my number four and number three. Your number four, and all we have left is uh, your number, your number three, three, and we'll get into that. Hi. <laughs> so, <laughs> hello. <laughs> when uh, when we last were talking, yeah, we took a break. So we were the plan was when we recorded. That those the previous episodes with uh with Sugar and Amy Dunn and Amy Dunn we 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 thought that we would be able to then just kind of pick up where we left off in the same place mm-hmm. and then shit happened uh there's a pandemic I think people would be aware of it <laughs> so we want to be upfront because obviously the room sounds different we are not at this but place new studio exactly place. which is my apartment so higher ceilings yeah. may sound a little bit but it feels nicer right we're it's not in the cramp we're not sweating profusely in there or maybe oh. that was just me no, no i was sweating all yeah. but anyways we thought some of you people would probably pick it up on the audio and figured why not just be right up front and tell you all right so we're picking right back up though in terms of our movie conversation okay. we each did our number four i did my number three and beam you're up all right, so for number three, um, I've got Eric Killmonger, uh, who plays, I guess we're, we were kind of debating now, uh, the villain in Black Panther. Michael B. Jordan, his performance in this is just, it's what elevates this movie for me. Because otherwise, like, I don't know if I would have, I would have enjoyed Black Panther as much, oddly enough. I think that um, Black Panther is an interesting movie because I feel like 
Ryan Coogler is the writer director of it, and I feel like Killmonger was his most honest character. And then they added those little things to kind of make him a mustachey, twirly villain. But his ideology is 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 strong. Like, and the fact that like we are living that reality right now. Unfortunately, like you know, say what you will about you know revolutions. Like, I quote Killmonger all the time now. Like, I've had a, right. like in the time that we recorded our last podcast, I've had a change of heart about him, and I've. I think he's the hero, and I think <laughs> I think that he's. Uh, I think that the, I have that burn it all mentality right now. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the structures that are holding up the people in power. I'm tired of like I don't know. I have I have uh, weird feelings about this movie now because uh, I just, think that Charles the villain, man. Like he's just he's propping up the the this this monarchy that is all about keeping the wealthy wealthy and. Yeah, sure. You can argue like Wakanda is a wealthy place, but we didn't really get a chance to see Wakanda. And also, he wins by cheating. Come on, guys. He kept like, like he lost. Killmonger beat him fair and square, knocked him off the water, the waterfall, and um, and then the 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 rich family hides one away and is like, "Here, wealthy child, we stole one for you, so you can usurp power back from the poor." I'm like, uh, "Okay, buddy." Um, fuck, man, this movie pisses me off now. I, some of the, like, listen, I, I agree. You definitely had a point. I'm not, I'm not sitting there like being, I don't know if I agree with this. It was more the tact I felt like in some instances. <laughs> it's kind of the way that we are with like a lot of these characters where it's like, yeah, no, I, I think you're making some really valid points. I think if we all brought our heads together. We could figure out a solution. No, he wasn't there for that, which to a degree, I mean, how well has that been working? Like right now? Well, ever. Right now, it's looking great. <laughs> well, finally. I mean, well, we burned down half of Minneapolis and got uh, some real change. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, with the exception of. Uh, well, no, that's like I'm saying, like if people, like you know, just sort of civilly got together and had a conversation. Wow, let's turn into politics. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, but this movie is like it's a political, inherently yeah, political. Yeah, 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 yeah. The character himself, like, is her- inherently political, or at least like could be considered political. Yeah, and like I think. That's ultimately why he belongs on a magnetic movie villain list right, because right. he he's complicated. Dude, and you flip that movie anyway, like you flip it, he's the hero. Like absolutely. you could have if you had put that movie in Killmonger's POV instead of Chala's, he's an he's, anti-hero he's that you're rooting for. Right, and with the rise of movies mm-hmm. like Joker and like Suicide Squad and all these villain-centered movies like Deadpool, like Killmonger is the hero of that movie if you just if you had just switched the pov of the movie exactly and that's why i think what it, it makes him is a magnetic movie villain because well you know t'challa has his faults but ultimately t'challa is a good man and he's trying to work through some things and he's trying to be better and is ultimately I think so. Really? I don't think he's like well, an. Uh, he's he's obviously flawed. Just maybe to, in terms know, of okay, his ideology. Flawed. But yeah, no, that. exactly. Well, I'm saying in his ideology, but I'm saying let's, more let's, just like let's, uh, let's unpack if Chala is a good person. In the very first scene where he drops down to stop this military convoy, he nearly murders a child, but is stopped by Lupita's character. And then the next time that happens is in Korea, where he nearly murders Claw and is stopped by lupita like he literally only stopped from murdering somebody because somebody catches him right before he does it and then when he's alone with killmonger with no lupita to stop him what does he do 
I don't know. Like, I, I get, I get, no, 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 I understand the points, but like, I just, he's at least open-minded. Open-minded? <laughs> he he has a change of heart. That's what open-mindedness is. he murders is. somebody. Well, so does Killmonger. It's, he murders a completely unarmed, innocent woman. Like, you want to go there? Killmonger's just as much of a villain. You can't sit here and say that someone killing someone. How many people did Chala kill in the Korea car chase? Well, gosh, I don't know. Confirmed? I, Zero. <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> How many did Killmonger murder? We know it's like 70 because he he's got some marks on the body. He for the U.S. government. Like, he's a, like Bad he, move. He yeah. just used them for the training. That <laughs> makes him a villain. He killed plenty of innocent people. Fair enough. Well, in the service a, of the U.S. government. Like the, he's, the real villain has always been the U.S. government. <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's what we I can think, all agree listen, on. I think we can definitely agree on that. <laughs> God damn it. But the point is that in this movie, Killmonger is a magnetic movie villain because he's not wrong. He's just kind of an asshole about it. And that's Fair. what it comes okay. down to. And like, aren't we all a little bit of an asshole about it? Like me right now. That's fine. And you know what? I exactly. Killmonger is a complex and complicated villain who absolutely 100% has a point, but you can't choke out old ladies. Right. And you can't kill unarmed women because they're in your way. That is villainous behavior, no matter which way you slice it. So we can argue all day about whether T'Challa really is a good man, which, you know what? I think he is. I think he's at least open-minded and behind every great man, there's a great woman, Lupita Nyong'o. And he needs that to help him along the way. To not kill babies. He doesn't actually, he doesn't actually like, his his idea of being a good man is buying property, like becoming a landlord. Like, come on, dude, this is insane. He's investing in education for people. He's to buying learn. property. Wait, so what does he do? Does he say he's building a school? Yeah. What is oh, I didn't a remember. science center with his sister running it in. Oh yeah. In the projects of Oakland, that's My bad. what his goal is. My bad. He okay. like he at least it, it seems like at the end of the movie he literally took some of the things that Killmonger was you know going on about right <laughs> and, and he's uh, trying to do it in a productive to, yeah. instead of murderous way right so i mean here's to say Killmonger's that longer's a necessary evil to get t'challa to where he needs to go listen if if killmonger like look I, I get that he's angry there's a lot of reasons that he needs to be angry um but anyways killmonger's on here for obviously for all those reasons because yeah. we just had we just went on a long discussion we could literally about, go on like a two-hour unpa- rant about black panther right exactly but that's because the movie's it's it's great that a movie exists like this that we can have a conversation whether we hate parts of it and love other parts of it. Like, mm-hmm. It's the point of this movie is to get a conversation going. Exactly, and that's why it's so important is because it's really the only one in the Marvel universe that's going to start a conversation. Exactly. Like all the all the Marvel movies are fine, they're fun as shit, and they're good, and right. like. You know, I guess Captain America Civil War, you could have a conversation about, yeah. like, what's the right thing? Some horrible amb- ambiguity there. Right. But really, it's not saying much. Right. Black Panther has some moral complexity to right. it and actually has something to say within the comic book genre, which makes it, it elevates it as a film. It's not just right. a Marvel, it's not just a Marvel movie. It's something much more than that. Right. And the character of Killmonger and his conflict with T'Challa and how essentially their conflict with one another Mm -hmm. eventually leads to T'Challa doing what he needs to do Mm -hmm. is what makes him such a great villain and such a necessary character. Right. 
both in terms of the film, but just in terms of the world. Like we right. need that character out there. Yeah. He's super duper important. I mean, I don't think that Black Panther is a good movie. I don't really think a lot of the Marvel movies are good movies. I, again, in the last six months, I found a new appreciation for Black Panther because it started a conversation. And at the end of the day, that's the point of art is to, and that's what you're saying is like the reason why Black Panther is considered an elevated movie is because it started a conversation. Yeah. It starts people discussing like we're doing right now about the complexities between these characters. And overall, we can pretty much end like this whole conversation by saying it's complicated. Like, oh, yeah. It's not simple, you know? And so some of the magnetic scenes that I have from it. Um, his introductory scene in the museum where he's just imitating the museum director mm-hmm. and just look and just, you know, bringing up, introducing himself as a very um, intelligent, eloquent individual, just mm-hmm. coming right off going, how do you think your ancestor got these? Right. Do you, you think they paid a fair price or did they take it like they took everything else? Ooh, that, and you're just like, <laughs> that, oh, OK, this guy's real. I just got goosebumps just remembering that scene. Just yeah. Because I remember how much I loved it seeing in the movie theater. I was like, fuck. Like that's the oh that's, it's so good yeah i mean and that that scene has so much crazy subtext in the sense that it's like a it's a I hate to say this but it's a white it's a it's a white woman explaining his culture to him yeah and, she, and him going and he's having no part right no, and he's I going, am not discussing this. right and he's going are you sure about that because it's my culture like, right. like, like i fucking love that scene. what's what's your second one the second one is the battle that he that for the throne and okay. when he just stands over to Kali, he's just like, is this, is your, this king? your king? Like, that is that is so powerful. Um, just just in sort of the way it's shot, just after what happens, the the tension that builds just throughout the fight. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It just and, and it's also, too, it's just like a reminder. This dude is legit. Like, the training that he had has gotten him to this point, whereas like... Mm-hmm. Right, he trained his whole life for this moment. And like... Yeah. He's he's reveling in it a little bit, yeah. and he's like, "Is this your king? Nah, this is this it's is his my apex time. scene, man. It's yeah, it's, it's like right. it's it's just like it's him at his peak, and then he gets a little power hungry too. It kind of feels like in in a way, which like you know, then you can go ahead and unpack the theme: power corrupts. But like, oh, absolutely, you know, the way that he burns the entire right. crop of the Black Panther plant, so no one can ever usurp him, like. That's well. It's not that's about dictatorship. Him. It's about it's about ending the line. It's about ending the idea of the power structure of this of this country for sure. And um, like he never wants that to change. So he gets power hungry, and then it becomes a totalitarian like his way or the highway situation. And anyone right. who disagrees with when with him is out. So right. you know it's got that power corrupts theme in a really in a way that is super duper relevant considering our president. Which I guess through my rose colored glasses is sort of how I viewed Takala just like as a leader where like power corrupted him, you know, you know, all the reasons that we went through. And then at well, the power, end power you think corrupted he's at least, the whole family. Right, right. And and well, no, exactly. It made them complicit. It made, it made them, them complicit and right. like yeah. content with willing. Okay, to, this is the way it is. This right. is the way this we've done things. Willing to keep things status quo. Right. right. Exactly because things are working for us. Yeah. yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Um. It and, keeps us in power, but then but they 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 um they they justify it by saying oh but because we're good people though like when actually they're neglect. It's literally this movie is about neglect. It's about neglecting the the people in poverty and the way it comes back to bite you corporations. <laughs> um, no, for sure. And I think that, you know, there's, there's just an interesting dichotomy dichotomy of, you know, you have 
this content family who's meant to keep the status quo. And then you have this revolutionary idea guy who then becomes extremely power hungry. It sounds awfully fucking mm. familiar. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's, it's just brilliant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, in that moment, he's really reveling in his victory and what, what he feels is his birthright. And to be fair, it is his birthright. Plus it's just yeah. a great scene overall. Absolutely. It's a nice little it's a battle fight scene. scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then like, this is the stuff that like it took me six months of being in a pandemic to start appreciating this movie for what it actually is, the subtext of it. Yeah. Because when I first watched it, I was like, this is going to be a dope Marvel movie. Like it's finally going to be like something that, cause I'm a big, I own every black Panther comic. Like right. it's been my favorite comic for so long. Like, but I guess for me, like when I first watched the movie, I was like, Oh, it's, it's a stripped down version of what I was expecting. Um, and so I was disappointed, but then I go back and I think about it. And I'm like, that's the thing is like when a movie gets you to go back and think about it and think about what each scene really means. It's like, that's when I'm like, Oh fuck. I when it takes like, on a new I'm, meeting. I was, after I, back I was the, on the, I don't like black Panther party. Like, uh, Oh boy. Um, that, that sentence came out weird. Um, I was out of the, context. It would yeah. be. <laughs> I, I was on the, I don't like the black Panther movie party for so long until I realized how, the subtext of it and realize that it is actually a good movie that I just missed it. Yeah. Having this conversation just, it's kind of weird to sort of how much more I think important this movie actually sort of yeah. is. If you are able to strip from it, the, you know, the superhero, you know, novelty of it and actually mm-hmm. look at it as a much more complicated film. Yeah. So, um, the final scene, though, that I would say was his most magnetic is his death scene because he's just like middle finger the entire time. Like, fuck you. I'm not going into bondage. Kill me. Um, you know, it, it just it was great. It was just it was one of those things that was like essentially his character where he's not going at, he's not going down without a fight kind of thing. And, you know, his anger is not leaving him even even right before death. So um, not afraid of it either. No, not afraid of it at all. Um I like that he finally gets his sun sunset. His sunset. His sunset. Mm, mm-hmm. like yeah, his, no, that's a good. That's a good sunset. scene. That that scene hurt because I was like, he this whole his whole life he's been chasing that right. sunset, and he got it in his dying moments, and he doesn't get to enjoy it really. Um, right. What a good way to go out. Yeah. It's just like that scene in Last Samurai where um, where Katsumoto is dying, and he, he like the whole yeah. movie. He's just like you. You'll be lucky to see a perfect cherry blossom in your lifetime. And then on his deathbed, he realizes that, oh, wait, all cherry blossoms are perfect. Mm. There's no such thing as a perfect. They're all perfect. So, Micah, out of those three, which one's your favorite? Is it is it that last one with the sunset? My favorite magnetic scene in Black Panther is when he finally shows up to the council and says, hey, auntie. That's my favorite one. <laughs> That's definitely my favorite line. So, for sure. yeah, man, that was that, that is the quote <laughs> I had in there. That is literally one of my favorites because it's just so much confusion. And they're all just like, no, no, there's no fucking way this is him. And then they're like, sorry. And then Wakabi shows the proof. And then he's just she's like, yeah, the elder, she's like. So this is legit, and he just looks at he looks at her. He's like, "Hi, Auntie." Yeah, like exactly. perfect. Yeah, that's oh, just honest, it hits like, so hard. That that line that hey, like that hi, Auntie is just such a fuck you. Like, and I love that moment. Yeah. Great one, uh, Beam. What's your most magnetic scene of those three? I I I think it's the death scene, and I think it's just because of everything just involved with it. Like, um, the build we we went through the arc of of Killmonger. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. There's just something about that scene where he's just still going down saying, fuck you, I don't care. Um, 
that just really encapsulates it's it's hard it's it's between that and the museum scene because mm-hmm. the museum scene's so good where he's just like i mean so um I, I would say the museum scene would be if i if i was choosing between the three that would be the one i would choose it's just like it's hard the museum it's scene for me is i think it because that's when he's still kind of at least more of just a righteous revolutionary and telling he's people like stop too. stop telling me right about my life and about what I my culture is and then you know then he goes through the whole power corruption arc and but before that he's just kind of a righteous revolutionary and I really I really dig that museum scene until of course he kills his girlfriend I gotta make an argument or slam piece as you put it (laughs) (laughs) there's no confirmation I'm just saying that's fair that's fair I, I gotta I gotta say just say one last thing on the subject of Killmonger for me is we keep saying power corrupts, but I feel like it's more along the lines of power reveals. And this is a kid who's never been in control of his life ever. But like when you grow up in something like that, like you don't have control over your life. You don't have anything that you can cling on to. You just have to claw your way to the top like they tell you to. And and so for for when he finally gets power, he's so after complete control because he's never had it. Right. And because he's never had it in his life. And yeah, that not dealing with the, the inner demons of like the lack of control in your life. But like, that's why like it, it obviously reveals itself into a total toxic control of like the country. But it's because he's like, he's never really, it revealed that it didn't, I, I wouldn't say it completely corrupted him. I think that the trauma of being created this. I guess too, then it, that just sort of makes me think about sort of what my perspective then is of corruption. If, if yeah. that if that makes sense, uh, because if you could say it's like power could just be a catalyst for it. Right. Um, uh, I just feel like when you're in a position of power, it's it's it, it, I don't know if it's the power itself is what does it, but it puts you in a situation where you have to make these decisions. And then inadvertently, yeah, whatever it was sort of from your past mm-hmm. is going to be influencing what you do there. Right. Or what you know, what you're, it reveals yeah. your trauma. It right. It feels like, and obviously, like it for Killmonger, it took it to the extreme where he's like, I, it's exactly what you're saying is like, it's, it's that dictatorship. It's that, it's that need for control. It's like, if you don't, if, if you try to take this control away from me, you're done. Um, I'm going to bring it to you now. Some of the, there's some really good quotes, obviously, that were delivered by Michael B. Jordan on this. Um, you mean all of them? Yeah, pretty much all of them. <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta pick a few favorites, which, I know I actually have quite the list here. So the Hey Auntie, uh, that exchange is clearly in there. And then I, you know, obviously going back to the museum scene, which I love this sort of retort that he got from, uh, that he gave to the museum director. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And then he just responds to her. You got all the security in here watching me ever since I walked in, but you ain't checking for what you put in your body. Damn. And then obviously... Mm-hmm. she dies uh, um but uh oh, i guess he does just murder an innocent uh he kind of does museum director oh boy um and then another one that i have i really like this one you know where i'm from when black folks started revolutions they never had the firepower or the resources to fight their oppressors where was wakanda hmm yeah all that ends today yeah which point. speaks right good to kind point. of which speaks to exactly kind of this whole conversation of what we're having here um because yeah when i saw him say that i'm like yeah Fair. It all come back. It comes back to that. You know, yeah. it comes back to like that feeling of powerlessness. Like that's where all this revolution comes from, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So, 
God bless America, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I say what you will. I love, I love being in America. I think America is great. I don't think that you need to make it great again because it's always been great, but great doesn't mean perfect. And no, we need I, to acknowledge that we need to, our problems. There's another conversation. I think I, offline that we should have just about out. nationalism is just like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it, it gets to a certain degree. You can degree cut this part out. Like, this is just between like, no, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, no, because I know yeah. American exceptionalism is the worst thing to ever happen to this country. We're no, not exceptional. Yeah. We're good and need to get better. And yeah, that's yeah. all it is. And that's yeah. all we'll ever be. Yeah, because this whole need yeah. to get better. Yeah. yeah. And we still live in a great country, I think, because we can say shit like Trump is a fucking idiot and not get murdered for it. Well, and, but also we're, we're, we're like, getting dangerously close to the opposite of that. <laughs> I, what's going on in Portland makes me a little nervous. Yeah, it makes me a lot nervous. I'm. I have other quotes that I could go through, but like... I don't think you need to, because that's the best quote. The one that you just read. <laughs> the one that yeah. I just read? Yeah. yeah, it's it is. If you want, if you have some other ones that are great, like, go ahead. But. I mean, it, it's hard because like, hey, auntie, I love that, but just for the comedic value of it, where it's just yeah. like, it's just so well done. But but yeah, I mean, so, we're all in agreement. That is yeah. that is the best quote. That's the guy. So. Right on. So, so yeah, I mean, Eric Hillmonger, I, I don't know. Now, the more that we talked about it, I almost want to like move him higher up on the list, but I guess we're set in stone. <laughs> it's the, it's, that's the thing is it's the, the simple, like you, when well, you really start to like, I think the best movies are ones where you can scratch beneath the surface and find more. And, right. Um, absolutely. And I wasn't expecting that in a Marvel movie, but when I first went to go see it, because I was always expecting Marvel movies to be shallow. And also I found a new appreciation for the world and the Black Lives Matter movement and all of what's going on in the world, like yeah. in general with the race in these last six months. I've read a lot of books on it. I've read like I've yeah. really like shattered my own perception of what's going on. Um, I've had to break down a lot. Yeah. yeah. Of <clears throat> of where I thought I would I might have been correct in some things. Yeah, it's one of those things where like fuck anything I know. Well, not right. that like, essentially, but it's more like, hey man, there's there's more you need to learn. Yeah, exactly. And, and there always is. Right, right. But like it's it's with this in particular, it, it's never been more important kind of thing Absolutely. where like you need to be more active just in terms of being able yeah. to uh, educate yourself. But also, um, you know, obviously tr- not educate, but at least have conversations with others. So, you know, maybe not in the parking lot of a Cape Cod restaurant with your father after he's <laughs> downed a double IPA before oh, eating a goddamn thing. Well, this is a real thing. Oh, 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 yeah. we'll, we'll oh, yeah. But anyways, that's uh, that's that's Eric Killmonger. And uh, so I guess that's the end of this portion because the next episode we're going to be getting into our uh, our top two, right? Indeed. So top that's, two, baby. That's Woo. the end of our second part of this series um and we are going to then do our third part stoked to get into these last two yeah yeah thank you micah for joining us (laughs) um and yeah we'll see you next time when we reveal our number twos and our number one cool